in uh, in the Lord of the Rings, the two towers, uh, there's a there's an incredible scene uh, where Gandalf is uh, leading a few of the key warriors. Gandalf is the the famous wizard of the story uh, of the trilogy, and uh, he is uh, they're rallying the troops. There's a war building, and they've had a, they've had a little bit of a victory, and they're traveling throughout uh, parts of the land, and they're rally they're rallying the troops. So Gandalf and uh, the three sort of main warriors, Aragorn and Gimli and uh, uh, the elf that no one really likes, um, Legolas, Legolas, um, he likes a little bit too much alcohol, that guy, um, get it? <laughs> and uh, anyway, they, they go to, uh, they go to these, this king's chambers, um, they go to Thoden's chambers, he's a, he's a king in a particular area and, and they're rallying him to join their cause. Um, and they get there, and it's just it, the, the mood is really strange. They sort of arrive at this uh, up at this castle up on this hill, and they go to hi- they go to his um, they go to enter into his chambers, and the guards stop them and they strip them of their weapons. Uh, and it's really unusual because Gandalf has a good relationship with this king, um, and they and the guards finally allow them in, and Gandalf the wizard is allowed in, and he and uh, he, he takes his um, his walking staff in with him. And, uh, and they have this conversation, and, and the king uh, has this, um, this famous character, Wormtongue, whispering in his ear the whole time. So the Gandalf walks in um, and has, these, has an exchange with this king, and, and this, um, this, this side character is whispering in his ear. And, and, and he's, he's leading the king, he's whispering responses, and he's whispering thoughts about Gandalf, and he's, he's actually telling the king lies. And I'll read you just a short section uh, out of the book um, that, that um, sort of is the, is the climax of this interaction. And then, um, then I'd love to uh, reflect on it just briefly. Um, this is, they've, they've had a conversation, they've had this exchange, and Gandalf is saying, um, you, you've changed. Things are not what they used to be. Something has happened here. And then it says this, Thus Gandalf softly sang, And then suddenly he changed. Casting his tattered cloak aside, he stood up and leaned no longer on his staff and he spoke in a clear, cold voice. The wise speak only of what they know. A witless worm you've become. This is talking to worm tongue. Therefore be silent and keep your forked tongue behind your teeth. I've not passed through fire and death to bandy crooked words with a serving man Till the lightning falls, he raised his staff. There was a roll of thunder. The sunlight was blotted out from the eastern windows and the whole hall became suddenly dark as night. The fire faded to sullen embers. Only Gandalf could be seen, standing white and tall. In the gloom, they heard the hiss of Wormtongue's voice. Did I not counsel you, Lord, to forbid his staff? That fool has betrayed us. There was a flash as if lightning had cloven the roof, then all was silent. Wormtongue sprawled on his face. Now Thoden, son of Thangor, will you hearken to me, said Gandalf. Do you ask for help? He lifted his staff and pointed to a high window. There the darkness seemed to clear and through the opening could be seen high and far a patch of shining sky. Not all is dark. Take courage, Lord of the Mark, for better help you will not find. 
Will you hear them? They are not for all ears. I bid you come out before your doors and look abroad. Now listen to this. This is what he says in, in, uh, in this sort of resolving statement. Too long have you sat in shadows and trusted to twisted tales and crooked promptings. That's the, that's the truth for us a lot of the time in our Christian life. Uh, the, the reality for all of us living in a fallen world is, um, is, is we're filled with doubts and we fall for lies. In a really similar way uh, to this king, to King Thoden, we have a worm tongue whispering lies into our ear. Lies about who we are, lies about life the, uh, and the way that life works. These, uh, this situation here was there was a war going on. And uh, Gandalf came, this great leader came to rally the troops for this war and Thoden just leans back, deceived on his throne. And Wormtongue is whispering lies in his ear. And Gandalf speaks to him. He, he, uh, he rebukes Wormtongue. He rebukes these lies. And Thoden is, is freed from that. And the, and the reality for us is in our weakness, in our, in our sin and in our folly, we resist God's strength for us. And we allow the accusations of, of Satan, of the devil... To, to, to uh, deceive us, to attack our identity. And we become, we become helpless. We become missionally hopeless. We don't realize that there's a war on. We don't realize that we have a role to play. We don't really understand ourselves in it all. You can open your Bibles to Ephesians 6. I'm going to read three verses from verse 10 to 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So just to remind us of, of the context here, this is chapter 6, the last chapter of the book. Uh, Paul is coming to a close in Ephesians and he's introducing his wrap-up for the last section. So this is the beginning of the end uh, for Paul writing to the Ephesians. So for five and a half chapters previously, uh, Paul's, been, Paul's been talking about how Jesus Christ... Uh, the Lord come in person and in power has, has come bringing life and light and love to an accursed humanity. That's what Paul's been talking about. Jesus came to overcome the evil that poisons our hearts and overthrow this kingdom of darkness. And we've got forgiveness through His blood now, right? Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross has overcome the evil in our hearts and it's overthrown the evil kingdom that exists and Christ is now at work in us in our hearts transforming the sons of disobedience into his children into sons of obedience creating for himself a people his church the redeemed the people that follow him and the spirit is now at work in us producing light bringing light through us 
to our community, to the world around us. You were once darkness, you were darkness, and now you are light. So live as children in His light. Join in on extending His redemptive plan to all the world. So think about this section here in the context of what Paul's been talking about for five and a half chapters. He's not radically changing gears and and going over here and talking about something um, completely separate. Paul is going on with the same mission he's been talking about the whole book. Bring light to the world around you. Restore uh, the world around you to Christ. Join in on this work. Uh, Piper says this uh, really nicely. He sums this up. He says, for now, until he comes again, there is no trumpet summoning God's people to sword and shield and chariots and horses. That's not what we're doing. Instead, the God of armies has dispatched his ambassadors among every enemy outpost with the message of amnesty. The offer of reconciliation with no recriminations for past disloyalty. That's the mission now. Live as children of the light. You have this new hope in Christ. Now take that to the corners of the world. Now, more recently, the last couple of weeks for us here at the the project, we've spent time um, giving instructions to the body, right? That's what Paul's been doing. Chapter 5, if this is true for you, if these biblical realities are true for you, then this is how you should live. This is how you should live as a church. This is how you should belong to one another. This is how you should live in marriage as husbands and as wives and as parents and as children and as workers and in the world. This is how you should live. And now he's bringing, he's bringing his letter to a close. And he begins with, with a resolving statement. So now, this is what he's saying. So now, as you take this message to the world, just think about, you know, you're getting towards the end of a book, right? You begin to hear these summarizing thoughts and these guiding thoughts. As you take this message to the world, as you shine as a light into the darkness, as you live in Christ's life, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty strength. Be confident in His work. Remember what He has done. 1 Samuel 30 talks about being strong in the Lord. This is an Old Testament reality. As David, sorry, And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. In a distressing moment, David strengthened himself in the Lord. So Paul sort of begins this, this, res, this resolving statement, just be strong in the Lord. As you go about your lives, as you walk into the world, as you encounter opposition... Be strong in God. It's the operation of this mighty strength by which he raised Christ from the dead. Paul's talked about that, Ephesians 1.19. It's the power with which Paul has prayed that his readers may be strengthened by the Spirit of God in their inner being. Ephesians 3.16. Paul's been talking about this great strength over and over again already for us. And here in chapter 6, they're told one way in which this power can be effective is in enabling them to resist the forces in the world that are hostile. So be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. 
Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You won't stand against the devil without this. To resist these forces, your natural strength and resolution isn't going to cut it. It will not suffice. The armor of God is necessary. Now, before we look at the armor, in order to know our weapons and our armor, we need to know our enemy, don't we? It's like if I'm fighting a dwarf, I'm going to use a different weapon than I would against an elf. Going with the Lord of the Rings analogy. Most of you are going, I just use a gun, all right? It's, we're in a modern world now, Matt. I'd use my smartphone. There's probably a, something on there I could do. But before we talk about armor, we need to know our enemy. So, so look at verse 11 here. What are the schemes that Paul is talking about here? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. If the devil's got some schemes, I'd really like to know about them. That would, that would greatly benefit me. That would be really helpful to me in my fight that I might know what these schemes are. Now, it's not the first time in Ephesians that we've talked about schemes. But all, all of a sudden, we read this in Ephesians 6 and we go, oh, something's up. No, no, something's always been up. This is nothing new. When we talk about spiritual warfare, this isn't some new unknown territory. This is the same game that's been going on the entire time. We've seen Paul talk about them earlier in chapter 4, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Paul's talking about a very similar thing here. So if the devil's schemes are similar to a worldly scheme that Paul talks about in chapter 4, what does he say in chapter 4 about overcoming schemes? Does anyone remember? What does he say when, when he talks about tossed about by doctrine and, and led astray by deceitful schemes? If you've got your Bible open, just flip back a page. He, he says, leaders should equip the saints to speak the truth in love. That's how we overcome worldly schemes. When we're led astray, when we're deceived, Leaders in the church equip the saints to speak the truth to one another, to lovingly move towards each other and rebuke the lies and speak the truth of God. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. Okay, so what's going on here? Let's, let's just back, back to verse 11. What's happening here? The word devil there, so that you may, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The word devil there is diabolos. Now, immediately, you probably think diabolical, but that doesn't really help anyone because diabolical just means devilish. So it's like, okay, we're stuck on a merry-go-round there because they mean e each other. Diabolos means slanderer, false accuser to falsely accuse someone so the purpose of the devil from verse 11 is to destroy your faith through false accusations he is scheming as to what he might say to destroy your faith and there's a there's a couple of ways that he does this and, uh, and Keller talks about this, and I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. There's two ways that the devil is going to lie to you 
to destroy your faith. The first way is he's going to tempt you. He's going to tempt you to think too highly of yourself. He's going to make you proud. Because what, what happens when you get proud is you think too highly of God's love and you think too lowly of his holiness. God will be okay with this. This is a little fun. You'll be fine. It's not hurting anyone. What do they know anyway? He's going to tempt you. He's going to lie to you. He's going to accuse you to think too highly of yourself. And it's going to rob you of a good, uh, beautiful picture of God's holiness. The second way that he's going to tempt you, he's going to accuse you. And that's to think too lowly of God's love and too highly of his holiness. It's the, the opposite, right? So when you're proud, you think, you, think, uh, you think too highly of His love. God loves me. Why does it matter what I do? His holiness doesn't really matter. I don't need to be fearful of God. Or you'll be doubtful. I don't really think He loves me. I think He just judges me and He doesn't really, he doesn't really like me. And the devil speaks to that. You're not going to make it. You're not the Christian they, they all think you are. You're not really cut out for this, are you? And he accuses you in order to destroy your faith. Let, let me ask this. What lies are you believing about yourself at the moment? The, the slanderer, the devil, is trying to destroy your faith by speaking to your identity. He wants to cripple you. Where have you allowed his voice into your identity, into your understanding of who you are? Maybe you're bound in guilt and shame. Maybe you think you'll never be clean. Maybe you're downtrodden. You know, you'll never overcome. Maybe you're trapped in self-righteousness. You'll never make it. Maybe you've lost faith in God's work, in His power, in a, in a sight, in a sight of God's power in your life. So, if Satan is a slanderer, if the devil is a false accuser, we overcome his schemes with the truth by speaking the truth. When we think about the false accusations that come against us, we put on God's armor. You know what God's armor is? God's armor is the gospel. You know what the gospel says to each of those accusations? I am a sinner worthy of death, saved by Christ's death. Now what does that do? Think about the two elements of the gospel and what that does to temptation and accusation. I am a sinner worthy of death. What does that do for your pride? What does that do for temptation? You are a sinner and you deserve to die. That is the reality of the gospel. That's what the Christian faces when they come to the cross, this man died in my place. I was worthy of that. I deserved that eternally. But Jesus saved me by dying in my place. And what does that do for your doubt? What does that do for the accusations that come against you? Put on the armor of God. Put on the gospel when you are faced with accusations. I think, of, I think of a kid who gets in trouble, like maybe, maybe a kid, um, when, I th when I think about a kid, I'm thinking about a 17-year-old, they prank their car 
and they run into a Ferrari and they're, they're man, they're really devastated and, uh, and the guy walks up to their window and uh, he, he winds down his window and he says, uh, if I owe you anything, just go see my dad. Right? That's the reality for teenagers. It's like, I, I work for like 12 bucks an hour and I don't really have that much and I just crash into a $300,000 Ferrari. So if I owe you anything, you just, I just, I'll get my phone out and you just talk to my dad. That is what is true for the Christian, isn't it? When the devil comes against you and accuses you and he casts doubt and he, casts, and he speaks against your sin and the failures that you've walked through, you'd say, look, mate, if I owe you anything, you can speak to my dad because he's paid for it. And that is true for me thoroughly in every area of my life. So we overcome his schemes with the truth. By speaking the truth. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. We just want to go back a slide. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Though we live in the world, we are not fighting a worldly war. We are fighting with divinely powerful weapons that we use to demolish arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Now the words of our warfare may be gentle, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, the Lord's servant must, be quarrel, must not be quarrelsome, but kind, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Or our words may be severe. Acts 13, 9, filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul looked intently at Elmas and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Does that sound like spiritual warfare to you? You son of the devil... Will you not stop making crooked the paths of the Lord? They may be gentle or they may be severe. But we overcome the lies of the false accuser with the truth of God. Verse 12. For we do not walk, so for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, now Paul is reinforcing this, right? It's like, you've sort of said this, but let's just say it again. The point is, this is a spiritual war, and there are powers fighting against you. We've talked about this in the project before, powers. Satan, the world, and your sin are fighting to destroy your faith. And they got a nice little trio going on. They're not stumbling over each other. They're working together and they're working really hard to destroy you. Satan, the false accuser. The world, uh, this is uh, the, the whole, for, for, from Paul's perspective, the whole climate of opinion in the Greco-Roman world of, apostoli- of apostolic days was detrimental, opposed to the principles of the gospel. That was the reality for Paul when he wrote this, they were not neutral toward the gospel. They were opposed to the gospel. So there's a whole bunch of rulers and authorities 
that were working against the gospel and your sin. You're going to fall for lies and you're going to allow them to disorder your worship of God. You are going to allow lies to corrupt you. Um, Powlison uh, says this, uh, it's profound, it's on the screen. An, an, an extensive cooperation and sympathy of purpose exists between the instincts of individual self, uh, sinfulness and ca- the characteristics of corporal... Sorry, could I grab a, a glass of water? My, my tongue's not working anymore. An extensive cooperation and sympathy of purpose exists between the instincts of individual sinfulness the characteristics of corporate sinfulness and the purposes of the devil's inworking power. There's a, there's a cooperation here. The overwhelming majority of evils, individual and collective, are not atrocities or paranormal oddities. Okay, The overwhelming majority are not paranormal oddities. They are everyday trespasses and sins. The common passions and fears, the unbelief, Anger, lusts, and lies of our foolishness. Thank you. So most of the time when we talk about spiritual warfare, we're not talking about kicking a door down and spraying verses from Revelation while Bethel music plays in the background. That's not what we're talking about in Ephesians 6, right? We come to this one chapter and it's like, well, this is like, let's just rip it out of Ephesians and let's go. Let's go to war, man. Like, let's, we got some tips and tricks and we got some stuff that we got to do. We're not really talking about that most of the time. Most of the time, we are talking about everyday trespasses and sins, the common passions and fears, the unbelief, anger, lusts, and lies. The stuff that we think is too ordinary to deal with. There's no fun in that. There's no glamour in that, battling unbelief or lust or anger. This spiritual warfare that we engage in is about overcoming lies. Lies that we tell ourselves. Lies that the world tells us and and lies that the enemy tells us. Verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, Paul, he's just repeating the first verse and he resolves, so we can stand firm, having done all to stand firm. The picture of a, of a Roman centurion, uh, according to Polybius, had to be the kind of man who could be relied upon when hard-pressed to stand fast and not give way. And the same quality is necessary in spiritual warfare. Now, to clarify, though, um, we think stand firm and we hear withstand. We think that everything is on the defense. The word armor here, the word armor in all of these passages is, is more correctly translated weapons and armor. Right? It just doesn't sound as nice. Weapons and armor is the, is the understanding that they have in mind when they talk about taking up the armor. So it's not... This isn't a defensive uh, uh, position. This isn't a defensive stance. When Paul talks about taking up the armor of God, he's talking about the offensive work of spiritual warfare. This is you know, the, the, the general understanding we have 
of, of spiritual warfare is usually portrayed as defensive. And it is, it is entirely backwards. Again, uh, Powlison says this, spiritual warfare arises because God is carrying out his invasion, piercing the darkness with light. We who were formerly darkness have been made part of the light that he brings. And every photon of faith and love illumines and destroys darkness. Ephesians envisions a war in which the fighting is hot, but the initiative and conquering power are on our side. The enemy is on the defensive. Fiery darts, that's return fire and counterattack. That's running and hiding behind a tree and flicking a dart out. Yes, it's dangerous. Yes, it's deadly. Yes, when the dart hits home, the children of light go dark, relapsing into trespasses and sin, living like the sons of disobedience that we once were, but light will prevail. When we stand at the end of the day, having done all, we will have swept the field of battle and overthrown the dictatorship of evil. We are on the attack in this. We are on the offense and we are taking ground. Remember the words of Jesus? On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Remember this? Remember that the same concept that we've been talking about? Jesus is building his church. God's church is expanding and it's taking ground and gates are a defensive measure. The enemy is on the back foot as we engage in our spiritual warfare, renewing others in the gospel, taking the light of Christ into the darkness, speaking against the lies of the accuser. Not even hell can keep the gospel from going out and the church from expanding. It's an active work that we engage in. We withstand under pressure. Are you withstanding? Is that how you would describe your faith? That you were withstanding? Or, or is it all too easy? Is it, is it, it's pretty comfortable. It's okay. Have you, been, have you been steamrolled by the lies of the enemy? Or are you wrestling? You feel the ongoing reality of the evil day. Stand firm. Clearly remembering what has been won. Satan has been defeated. That happened at the cross. Death was destroyed and Satan was overcome. We fight a defeated enemy who now, in the meantime, he's just doing a death roll. He is thrashing around as hard as he can, doing a death roll, taking as many people down as he can before he's finally overthrown. Revelation 20, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who, who had deceived them was thrown to the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. After Gandalf um, rebukes Wormtongue, he, uh, he calls King Foden up off of his throne, out of this dark and gloomy room, and he calls him out to the front of his hall and to look over his empire. And uh, Thoden uh, responds by saying this. 
It's not so dark here, said Bowden. No, said Gandalf. Nor does age lie so heavily on your shoulders as some would have you think. Cast aside your prop. And he throws aside his, his, uh, his walking stick. From the king's hand, the black staff fell clattering on the stones. He drew himself up slowly as a man that is stiff from long bending over some dull toil. Now tall and straight he stood, and his eyes were blue as he looked into the opening sky. Dark have been my dreams of late, he said, but I feel as one new awakened. That's the hope for us, isn't it? That as we, as we rebuke the lies of the enemy and the lies that he's whispering against us and against our identity, against our faith, as he wants to undermine our faith, that we would stand and our shoulders would come back and we say, I've had some pretty dark dreams lately, but I feel like I'm newly awakened. I feel like I can see the light again. Like the, like, like, like the clouds are breaking and like I'm ready to join in on this battle, this war that, that's, that's been gathering. I, I, th- I feel like I'm ready to join in. And I've got some armor. I've got these things that I'd really like to put to work. And there's a real renewal there. When Satan lies to you and he whispers in your ear, when he attacks your identity and your failure and your weakness and your suffering and your faith, declare God's truth to him. Put on the gospel. The, the music came, team could come up. And I'd love to finish. I want to read a, um, just a, a good section of of Romans 8, because I feel like it, um, it, uh, it, it speaks to us um, really beautifully here. Um, if you'd like to stand with me, um, I would love to read this to you and declare God's word over the, um, over the lies of the enemy. I would like to engage in uh, spiritual warfare this morning, as I have been for the last half an hour. I'd just like to do that one more time together and to read Romans 8 and, uh, and speak against the works of the enemy to, um, to cut us down. Now, now, hear this, listen to this text and, and ask yourself the question, who am I? Who am I here? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. So when Satan tells you that you should be the one that that gets killed, you should be the one that suffer, that you're the one who needs to work for your salvation, God justified you and Christ died for you. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life 
nor angels, angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, sorry, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Put on the gospel this week, church. When Satan comes against you and he accuses you and he cuts your faith, he accuses you, accuses you in your suffering and in your weakness and in your trials. And he says, you don't have what it takes. You're not like everyone else. You're full of sin. What a fake you are. Who do you think you are? Put on the gospel. Put on the truth that you are a sinner worthy of death, saved by Jesus' death. Saved by the Son of God, ransomed through His blood. Put on the gospel when Satan comes against you with his lies. I want to to pray for us. But as we sing in a moment, ask God to reveal the accusations you've been believing. Where in your heart, what have you been believing? And repent of it. Repent of clinging to that. Repent of holding on to it. Repent of believing lies that are not true. Jesus, would you, uh, would you help us to take hold of you? Would you help us to, to look at the cross, look at your death and resurrection and, and, and the power of the gospel and help us to be inspired to fight the lies of the enemy. Would it, would it be said of us as we, uh, as we walk through the Christian life, would it, would it be said of us at the end of our lives that we were strong in the Lord and in His mighty power? That when we were accused, that when we were faced with lies, uh, that, we, that, we, that, they, that they rolled off our backs because we were sure of ourselves in the gospel. So even now as we sing and as we respond, God, would you, um, by the power of your Holy Spirit, reveal where we've been believing lies, where there's sin in our hearts that's taken hold of us, where the world is is working against us, where the, the enemy is lying to us, would you, by your Holy Spirit, illuminate that for us? And in, in community, in fellowship, in relationship this week, would you help us to be on the offense? Would you help us to fight for each other? Amen. Let, let's sing together. And would you ask of God, would you ask of the Holy Spirit to be revealing that to you?